Talk, um, let's talk money. So um, why is money um, an important uh, topic for us to address here? Uh, I feel like it's a very relevant topic uh, both then and in Bible times and now. Um, there are 11 uh, parables that either mention money, have something to do with, with money management, or use money or possessions to illustrate a broader point. So it was, it was part of what Jesus knew as everybody's life and knew it had to be something that he related to. Same with the book of Proverbs. I stopped at 10 or 12 references to money, possessions, management of that. Um, it's obvious that the Bible writers thought of this as a universal topic, especially for us uh, today. The collection of Christians in America represents the wealthiest Christians ever to live including us in this room. We hear about inflation and markets and money advancement and savings and 401ks. And, and, and luckily, I'm not going to talk about any of those uh, tonight, but I'm going to talk about what it means for us to have money, to spend it, to save it, and to serve with it. So I want to talk about three things. How do we spend our money? How do we save our money? And how do we serve uh, with our money? As a principle, using the, 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 the passage that Ben read for us as an introduction, the, the rich young ruler, to, to me, is a, is, a, is, a, is a good example of how Jesus and how the Bible approaches the subject. Jesus wants our relationship with our money to be radical, fundamental inside of us at our core, and, and personal. Personal. Let's recap what the story is about. This man in Mark chapter 10 or in Matthew chapter 19 has a lot going for him, doesn't he? He is morally good. He knows the Ten Commandments. He's kept them. He tells the truth. He's not an adulterer. He's honest, good to his parents. He comes to church on Sunday night, I bet. He votes Republican, I bet. A good guy. Um, this, thing, this guy also has something else going for him. He's got a lot. He's rich, which we found out towards the end of the chapter. The third thing that we find out about this man that's good is he's willing to recognize he lacks something and knows who to go to to figure out what he needs to do to complete what he lacks. And he goes to Jesus, and Jesus sends him away grieving. And in verse 26, the, the ones around him, the disciples, they even are more astonished and say, then who can be saved? Wait a second. A man who seemingly has everything going for him, and he has his whole life in front of him because he is young, he has a lot to do with his life because he's wealthy and he is a good person, uh, is sent away disappointed. Who can be saved then? Uh, two things to think about about this rich young ruler at the beginning. Christianity, Jesus claims, is not something that you add to your current life. The way that you see money is not something that you add to how you see the Ten Commandments. You don't need a new application on your phone. You need a completely new operating system. Uh, this rich young ruler does. Jesus asks for something personal of this man. Personal as opposed to academic. Uh, where we just talk about our wealth, we talk about how to manage money from a theoretical standpoint. No, this has to be personal. And I want to try and make it personal uh, tonight because I feel like Jesus, the book of Proverbs, Paul in some cases will look at in First Timothy. 
makes it personal. Now, uh, to the principles of spending, saving, and serving. First, the Christian spender. How should we look at our money right now? Let's look at a few highlights. And, and, and by the way, I looked at a lot of different resources for this. There's a book uh, called uh, God and Money written by a couple of gentlemen from the Harvard Business School who found themselves at the business school, found each other to be Christian, and, and ended up uh, writing a book on this topic. So some of the outline of the things that I've got here are from a reference uh, fr- from that book. I'd highly encourage you to take, take a look at it. Um, I'm only going to hit some of the highlights here, not from just from that book, but also from the Bible. There's hundreds and hundreds of, of passages on wealth, obviously dozens and dozens of Proverbs. I'm only going to hit the highlights here in order to make money personal uh, to us. Okay? First, how we spend uh, money. Uh, let, let's, let's be clear that it's okay to have money to spend. Right? Uh, God is not expecting a follower of God to be poor. Abraham, Genesis chapter 24, has a lot of wealth. Job has a lot of wealth and then has it taken away from him. And based on his actions, he's given his wealth back in Job chapter 42. Zacchaeus gives away half of his wealth in Luke 19. So he's not giving it all away. Um, In Acts chapter 4, the people of, of the churches are sharing amongst themselves. That doesn't necessarily make them poor because the people in the churches in Asia, for example, still have money to give. Now, when it comes to a famine, for, for example, in Jerusalem, uh, it's okay to have some money uh, to spend. But there is a danger with that. Beware of the danger of spending money. Um, first, when it comes to <clears throat> greed. A spender views his financial resources as a way to enjoy every part of the high life that money can buy. Consuming much as they can today while it is called today. This is your, your typical American, I would say. On the average, the American is the spender. Which can lead to greed. Greed is warned about very often. Uh, probably more often than, than dishonesty or sex in the Bible. It is something that's talked about over and over and over again. Uh, something to be mindful of. To be mindful of the trap of greed. One of the obvious passages is in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I'm going to read rather quickly through what Solomon claims he's done when it comes to spending. He's basically done the work for us, done the experiment, and he has the result. I enlarged my works, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 4. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself, growing from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. I also possessed flocks and herds larger than all that preceded me in Jerusalem. On and on and on, verse 11. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind. And there was no profit under the sun. Solomon tells us what happens if you spend and you spend and you spend. You cannot outdo uh, Solomon. 
He built a, a, a collection of, of people. He built parks. He built ponds to water his parks. You cannot make or, or buy something that gets you in a direction that Solomon hasn't already gone. And he knows the result. There's also a, a comment that Jesus makes in Luke chapter 12. I'm not going to turn there because we probably remember uh, the story. But, but Jesus is, is speaking and is interrupted by a man who wants his, inherit, his share of the inheritance from his family. Jesus is going is to speak to him a parable. But before he does, he makes a claim. Jesus says, beware and be on guard against every form of greed. For not even one who is affluent does his life consist of his possessions. Americans don't believe this. They think that if they can only get enough things, it will produce uh, the abundant life. But Jesus says no. Even those who have all the things, even the affluent, um, their life does not consist in the abundance of their things. Andrew Carnegie once said this. Millionaires who laugh are rare. You may have all the money in the world and yet be a lonely, sorrowing man. How much money we have to spend, our income, our status level, does not exempt us from greed. So what are we to do? Let's be mindfully content. Be mindfully content. We're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 a couple of times. Uh, So if you want to mark uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll reference there uh, a few times, uh, starting now. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, in verse 6, Paul says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out either. If we have food and covering with these, excuse me, we shall be content. What are we to do as a Christian spender? We should be thankful for what we have, be patient and willing to work hard for what comes next. We can be content with the things that we have. A couple of practical applications to me, um, because the Bible asks us to act in wisdom. Some things to think about. Know where your money is going. Yes, we have to spend. Do you know what you're spending your money on? Do we as a family know what we're spending our money on? We often talk about controlling our tongue and controlling the people that we hang out with and being careful who our friends are and and making conscious decisions and, and saying things on purpose and being around people on purpose. This principle extends to how we use our money. Do you know what you're spending your money on? Along those, mind, along those lines, is the spending of our money making us a more effective Christian? Do we buy things that make us more effective at serving God? Now we could cast that for another hour and talk about what that means. Whether it be the things that are needed to, to have healthy bodies in order to strive to please God. Um, and on and on. But do we, do we buy things... That make us effective at serving God. And lastly, set a spending ceiling. More spending does not increase human satisfaction. We've covered that. See back Ecclesiastes 
chapter 2. Nor should spending increase without limit. So a suggestion. Set a cap. Set a ceiling for what you're willing to spend. And the ceiling can't be, okay, okay, Bill said set a, set a, a, a spending ceiling. I'm going to set it at a billion dollars. Now, you're, you're missing my point if you're setting your spending ceiling at a billion dollars. Oh. This is where it gets personal. I can't tell you where to set it. I can tell you to don't set it at 100% of your income. It's got to be something less than that. Set a spending ceiling. Act in wisdom. And let's make it personal. Second, how should a Christian save money? How should the Christian see their money in the future? Back to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17. The other person, the, the, the saver, the spender or the saver, each have a danger. Let's look at what the danger is in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us in all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Paul, is, to me, is pretty clear on the danger of a large savings account. There's two potential dangers. Number one, it turns into to, to pride or to conceit. To, to my knowledge, this is the only place the word conceit is used in the New Testament. Um, and we know what conceit means. It's, it's pride, but also in, in comparison, putting myself above someone else. We look at others and think, if they would work as hard as I do... If they would use their heads like I do, they wouldn't be poor. In other words, I am the reason I am rich. I am the reason I have what I have because I have worked hard, because I have used my brain, and I deserve it. We could probably go around the room and, and talk about specific personal examples, either in our lives or in the lives of people we know, that could combat that and say that is not true. The time and chance happen to everyone. The second thing, besides being conceited with a big savings account, is they can also trust in the wrong thing. They can view that as a tool for security, stability, and personal freedom to have a large bank account. Paul says to not have hope in the uncertainty of riches. Verse 17. The world says, you have saved much. Congratulations. You are standing on thick ice. Paul says, you have saved much. Beware. You're standing on thin ice. What should we do when it comes to saving? We should trust God. But we should save our money. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 22. It's on the screen there. A good person leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren. And the wealth of a sinner is stored up for the righteous. A good person. Little doses of wisdom provided and sprinkled all through the book of Proverbs. And here's one. The proverb writer says, 
a characteristic of a good person. He's thinking far enough ahead. She's thinking far enough ahead. The family's thinking far enough ahead that they are saving so they will leave something for their grandchildren. I don't know how much that's supposed to be. This is, again, where it becomes personal. We have to decide and do this on purpose. In terms of their society, how would they have practically done this? How do you leave something to your grandchildren? It's how you treat the land that you own. It's how you treat the herds that you own. It's the size of your barn. All of these have to be taken into account. Every day you save for your grandchildren by the way that you work and the way that you live. A good person, a wise person, works hard, saves consistently, and lives below their means so that they can save for inheritance to their grandchildren. The proverb writer says. Practical, personal things. Guard against debt. We happen to live in the, you know, the hometown of Dave Ramsey, so it feels necessary to give him a little bit of a shout out. And regardless of how you think of Dave Ramsey and all of his principles, he does have a core proverb that he goes to that is not negated because of maybe how he feels or doesn't feel. The borrower is slave to the lender, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7. It's hard to save as a slave. And then lastly, like I mentioned on spending, we spend on purpose. We save on purpose. Saving money, we especially know this in America, saving money does not happen by accident. Do we have a plan of where our savings go? There are many tools that can be used today for saving money. You can bury it in the backyard in a glass jar. You can bury it in a box. You can bury it in a metal box. There's so many different options uh, when it comes to uh, saving money in today's society, especially in America. Uh, Are we actively, purposely thinking about it? What is our inheritance To our children, to our grandchildren. Is it an education? Is it something physical? Is it a business? Is it a piece of land? Is it a house? Whatever it is, it has to be done on purpose. We will not wake up at the end of our lives and happen to have a little money in the bank to give to our grandchildren. It has to be active and it has to be on purpose. Christians are to look to the Bible for how they spend their money. Christians are to look to the Bible about how they save their money. And both of these together put us in the ultimate position as a Christian. The ability to serve and to give. Actively spending in wisdom, actively saving in wisdom, gives us the position to be truly God's servants and give our money away. A few points in this area to be mindful of. Matthew chapter 6 is maybe somewhat of an obvious place, but we'll go there and read verses 2 and 3. I really like Jesus' illustrations in the the Sermon on the Mount, particularly this one. Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. 
But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's an amazing scene to me. You've got a synagogue, a place where people are coming and going to hear the word of God, to hear teaching. So naturally, poor people may congregate there because they know that there may be folks who are willing to give or willing to share. And someone who comes up and may see someone who's poor, who may reach into their pocket, but they're not going to get their money out until they see a crowd around them. <clears throat> I need your attention for the moment. I'm about to give $20. Well, not $20. You, you get what I'm saying. I'm going to buy 20 somethings to this person, uh, this poor person. I need you all to pay attention to me. May I have your attention? I know you're passing by the plate back and forth, but you all need to watch. Because uh, I'm giving cash today. You need to see how many $100 bills I throw in the collection plate. Avoid giving loudly. Give so quietly. Give so diligently that your hands don't even know what the other is doing is the illustration that Jesus provides. How much do we give? I don't know. Well, what's the target? I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's more than you think. We often use the Old Testament, right? How much do they give in the Old Testament? Everybody's got a number in their head. It's a tithe. It's 10%. Oh. If you look carefully, they were to give 10% every, all the time, continuously, for the service of the Levites. There was a feast in Deuteronomy chapter 14 where they're also called to give 10%. And later on at the end of chapter 14 of the book of Deuteronomy, they're adding another 10% every third year for the poor and the orphans. So depending on how you do math, you're 21, 24% as an Israelite, not 10 Yes, I know it was a theocracy, and I know they're giving sort of to the government, um, and I know that we give taxes. Right, I'm sure you do that freely and with a cheerful heart uh, as well. Um, what's the point I'm trying to make? The point I'm trying to make is we, we, we go quickly by the Israelites gave 10%. They gave more than that. They gave more than that. How much did you give? It's more than we think. Give with the gospel as the center. Well, what does Jesus call us to do when it comes to this? We are to give and point people to Jesus. We have to do both. If we are called and we just give to those in need, if we were to spread the wealth of this congregation in this community, but we do so without addressing the, the need of, of the, the greatest need, that of salvation, we have failed as a congregation. Conversely, if we exclusively try to talk to someone about Jesus and save their soul and recognize a physical opportunity and avoid it, we have also failed. James chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 is the illustration here. Faith and works is on display. And James says, let me illustrate for you. You see a man who is cold and you say, be warmed and you be filled and you walk away. James's conclusion to that is, what use are you? What use is it to tell someone good, to tell someone about Jesus, to even pray for them if you do not help them and you're able? What of use is that? Giving should be personal. 
our Christian lives are, are communal for sure. And we could talk for a long time about the, the responsibility, the necessity, and the benefits of our collection of funds together here. There are multiple examples of the Christians giving us in a church setting for the benefit of the congregation, for the benefit of the community around them, and the spreading of God's message. Uh, Wholeheartedly agree with that. As a Christian, we are called to serve God and and to love others. But individually, we are very diverse. Even in a relatively flat society in which we live here in Middle Tennessee, we're relatively Diverse, even in this congregation. When it comes to giving personal, read two things. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28. Have the ability to give all the time. Do not withhold, Proverbs 3, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power to do it, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while while he lives securely beside you. Look particularly at verse 28. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it. When you have it with you, have the ability to give all the time is the principle in Proverbs 3 that I see and do it. All the time. Do we have the personal ability tonight? Do you have the personal ability tonight to give away a lot of money? One of the ways to apply this principle in Proverbs 3 is to have that ability. Have we set aside money to give to the church weekly? Absolutely. Beyond that, and please don't think that that's the only place that we should should give. Do we have the ability to give right now? I'll offer an an illustration and a way of of encouragement to to this congregation. Some of you weren't here. It was around five years ago, four and a half, five years ago, there was a hurricane that came through where Julie and I used to live in southeast Texas. Lots of rain. And it flooded a considerable number of houses, including members of the congregation where we used to attend. It happened in the week. We were going to go on the weekends. It was basically like one service, one, one assembling of ourselves where we could talk about it and make an appeal before we were headed down there. I don't remember the number uh, of dollars that we took, but it was in the thousands from the people in this building. Um, active, wise use of our money produces giving like that. Oh. There's another example. So, <clears throat> Taryn Stacy. So, Taryn, uh, for those of you who don't know Taryn, she was maybe three years old at the time. Uh, she, no, she was probably like eight or nine. She bought Gatorade with her own money for us to take with us. Oh. And look, Taryn, I will never forget that as long as I live. Never forget it. Active, personal giving is a blessing. A generous person will be prosperous, and the one who gives plenty, the others will water, the others, excuse me, plenty of water will himself 
be given plenty. Let's look at that last passage, Galatians chapter 6. Again, a passage we are all, we're quite familiar with. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I think sometimes we emphasize the back half of that verse a little too much. Um, we should be mindful to do good to all people. But yes, especially to those uh, who are of the household of faith. Um, you know of examples of people who have been helped. I know of examples uh, of families who did not know how they were going to make it the next month, the next three months. And they go to their mailbox and there's money in that mailbox. They don't know where it came from. And you know what? It don't matter. Do we have the personal accountability to our money to be able to spend it with wisdom, be able to save it with wisdom, and be able to give? Lastly, an illustration. The emperor Constantine made Christianity a legal and public thing in, in Italy. In Rome, in, in, 13, in 313 A.D., his nephew Julian tried to back out of what, Jesus, of what uh, Constantine made in Christianity. He tried to undo it, tried to reject the Christian faith back when he took the reign in 360s or so A.D. He wanted to turn Rome back to its pagan roots. He tried to re- re- revive uh, Rome's old religion. He tried to reestablish some priesthoods that were in Rome. He tried to tamp down Christianity's influence by limiting Christian rights. But there was one thing he could not overcome and try to persuade the Romans. He could not overcome charity in the Christian community. He wrote a letter to one of his priests. This quote is in it. It is disgraceful. That when the Jew, that no Jew ever has to beg, and the impious Galileans, the Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see it, that our people lack aid from us. The most powerful man in the world was being held back by a force so strong that he got frustrated by it. What was that force? That the Christian community took care of their own poor and the Roman poor. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of faith. To whom does this apply? Everyone who has the gift of salvation. No matter how much money you have or will have in the future in your bank account. How much should we give? More than you think. How should we do it? Personally and on purpose. Let's uh, pray and then we will conclude. Our holy God in heaven, we're thankful for all that you bless us with. We ask that you help us to spend our money in wisdom, to save our money in wisdom, and set ourselves in position to be lights in this community and give. Give generously and give on purpose. Help us to help those in this community and especially those in this household. We're thankful so much.
for the blessings that we have and the, and the ultimate blessing of forgiveness of our sins. We're thankful for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. If you are subject to the Lord's invitation tonight, if you need your sins washed in baptism, if you need the prayers of the saints here, if you're subject to God's invitation, we invite your response as we stand and as we sing.